Well, good morning, everyone. I've never been here before, but I've heard lots of good things about you, and I do know a couple of people who are members here. Uh, my name's Lynn Smales. Uh, my husband, Jeff, is here. Um, we are members of a church called St. John's Westwood in Coventry, which is very close to the university. We have four children and five grandchildren. You might be interested in that bit of information. Um, a little bit of personal testimony, um, a little bit about my life. I grew up with depression, not that I myself was depressed, but my mother was depressed and had bouts of severe depression throughout her life. This started before she even met my dad. And when my mum and dad married, they weren't so sure about having children. But, you know, not a lot was known about depression in those days. And my mum was told that if she had a child, it could help her get better. And that's how I was conceived. <laughs> um, unfortunately, I didn't work as a cure. And neither did my brother, who arrived three years later. And my mum's depression continued and sometimes was very bad. Now, in those days, uh, when I was born, um, there wasn't much treatment for depression at all. In fact, anything... Uh, related to mental health, was often kept very quiet, and people would talk about it in hush whispers. Because if you had a mental health condition, quite often the only thing that would happen would you be taken to a, an asylum, which was a place, a big place, usually in a secluded area where people couldn't see. And you were kept there until you got better, or maybe kept there forever. So my dad was absolutely terrified that my mum would be taken away. And so it was managed. My mum's illness was managed in the family as best as he could. And praise God, there were some family friends and relatives who helped take care of my brother and I when my mother was not able to do so. So this isn't a promotional event. I'm not here just to talk about um, the work I do with no, New Hope. Um, but I have put this slide up just to summarize what I do with um, a whole team of people, 39 of us in total now, um, in this local area. Um, I'm the manager of this organization. It's been in existence now as a charity for eight years. We're affiliated to an organization called the Association of Christian Counselors. So we very much are grounded in faith. We are faith-based. 
The counselling we give on the whole is secular because most of our clients are not Christians. But we are praying for the work. We are constantly praying um, for the people that come to see us. Obviously, we do have some Christian clients where we can talk more openly about faith matters. We are overwhelmed all the time with people who want to receive our help. Because we are very much affordable, we operate on a donation basis, and mental health services are very, very stretched and often inadequate in this area and probably most of the country. So people are desperate for help, and often the people we see have very little in the way of money, so would not be able to afford to go for private therapy. We get referrals from many, many different sources, but the vast majority of our referrals come straight from NHS sources. They come from mental health services. They come from an organization called IAPT that offers a very low level of support. So we are very well known. We're getting better known, and consequently, we get busier and busier. And it seems that no matter how many more counselors we um, manage to employ, although most of them are volunteers rather than employed and paid, we still, our waiting lists still seem to get longer. So that gives you an idea of the level of need there is for help and support for mental health issues. So what is this thing called depression? Well, most of us have it at some point in our lives. I experienced it after the birth of my first child. And there'll be quite a number of women here who will know what postnatal depression is like. And it's pretty grim. You're looking forward to this baby and looking forward to taking them home. This wonderful, wonderful gift from God. But it doesn't feel like that at all. You just don't want the baby. Sometimes you feel you don't want to live. It was awful. Depression can vary from a few days of feeling a bit under the weather, a bit low, to deep despair, to not wanting to live anymore. And this may go on for years. It's now estimated that one in five people suffer from the deeper version of depression. And huge numbers of people in this country are on some kind of antidepressant medication. So we're talking about a big problem, a problem that affects great numbers of people. Doctors treat the deeper kind of depression as an illness, and they will prescribe as for an illness. So a lot of the patients that will be going to doctor's surgeries will be going 
because they feel depressed, they have depression, and the doctor will diagnose that and prescribe. For something that is so common, it's quite surprising that the symptoms are highly variable. So some people will want to withdraw when they're depressed and be on their own. But I've met other people who can't bear to be alone and have to have constant company when they're feeling low. Some people get highly agitated and angry and very emotional. And some people just seem to go completely numb and seem to be lacking in emotions. Some people want to comfort eat and will put on lots of weight when they're depressed. Others lose their appetite completely and could get very thin. Some want to sleep all the time and some will find it almost impossible to sleep at all. But the overwhelming feeling is of hopelessness. This feels like it's never going to end. It's going to go on and on and on. And life seems to have very little point. People, even Christian people, and I've had Christians come for therapy who've said, well, if life's going to be like this, I don't want to live, which sounds quite shocking, but that is really how they feel. Sadly, also, a number of people feel very guilty about having depression. And that, of course, could lead to them hiding it and pretending everything's okay. Because sometimes in churches, and we'll talk about this a little later on, it's not very acceptable to be depressed. We're encouraged to be praising God and thanking God. And the churches that have perhaps the more vivacious kinds of praise, it might be more difficult for people in those churches to just acknowledge that they're not feeling much like that and they're really not feeling very full of praise. It might be easier for them to just pretend because they're feeling too guilty or ashamed. Is depression a new problem? Surprisingly, no. It was described in ancient Greece, and it was given the name melancholia, And for many hundreds of years, this is what it was known as. People were described as being melancholy when they had depression. The word depression was first used in the 17th century, and it means to press down. So if you're depressed, it feels like something is pressing down on you. 
depression appears to be in the Bible, although it's not called depression. But a number of Bible characters show low mood to the point of not wanting to live. So let's have a look at some of these. Now, there is a mistake on this slide because it says 1 Kings verse 19. It should actually say 1 Kings chapter 19. I'm not going to read all of it, but this is just the first few verses. Now, Ahab told Jezebel, Ahab was the king at the time and Jezebel was the queen in Israel, everything Elijah had done and how he'd killed all the prophets with the sword. So that set the picture here. Elijah had been on Mount Carmel, and there's been a competition between God, his God, the God, and Baal, who was a God they were worshipping, a God that was just made, a statue God. And hundreds of prophets of Baal were there, and they were calling on their God, to bring fire down from heaven, and it didn't happen. And then Elijah called on God after he'd soaked everything, soaked the altar and covered it with water, and the fire came down and consumed it. So it was him versus all these prophets of Baal. And he'd killed them. He'd slaughtered them um, after this showdown had happened. And Jezebel, who worshipped Baal, was not happy with him. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Does this feel quite extraordinary to you? This man who's called down fire from heaven and been able to single-handedly slaughter all these prophets suddenly saying he doesn't want to live. Amazing. This sounds very much like depression. And it can come to people even like Elijah. Some other people who appear to be depressed. Job, in chapter 10, verse 1, just one of a number of verses where Job is feeling pretty sorry for himself. I loathe my very life. Therefore, I'll give free reign to my complaint and speak out in the bitterness of my soul. Maybe he had more reason to feel low after all the things that had happened to him. But Jonah, Jonah chapter 4 verse 3 Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life for me, for it's better for me to die than to live. Well, he'd just seen some great miracles. All the people of Nineveh had had turned to the Lord. 
And yet, the low mood is coming to him. As for David, of course, there's many, many psalms where you can really get a feel of how low David was feeling. Psalm 6 is a good example, but you can find many more. And psalms are a a great place to go to if you're feeling in a low mood, because although there are ones like this, there's often ones that carry a lot of hope at the end as well. So you've got a mixture there of ones that are very honest about having low mood and, and feeling almost that you want to die, but also some, some very hope-filled psalms. But let's have a look at this Psalm 6. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. So he's aching all over. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? All night I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. He was in a very bad place. So if depression is so common, and it's been around forever, what on earth causes it? Why do we have it? Well, we do know now from studies that have been done on the way the brain works that people that are depressed have some kind of chemical imbalance in their brains. So you can compare the brain of somebody who's depressed and compare the brain of, to, to the brain of somebody who isn't depressed, and you can see a difference. You can see an imbalance there. Big problem is what we don't know is whether the, home, the, the imbalance of the chemicals came before the depression, so you've got on, you know, unbalanced chemicals going on there, and then you get the low mood, the depression, or if the depression came first, and that causes the chemical imbalance, which is why we've used the chicken and egg analogy there. We don't know. We really don't know. So what I'm possibly suggesting here is that there may be a genetic component. There may be a possibility, highly likely, that some people are more prone to depression than others. It's in their genes. I know from my own family that my mum, who had the serious depression, her father also had depression, and so did her sister. Well, was that just coincidental, or is there something going on there genetic? Sometimes it seems to run in families. So the treatment these days for people that have got depression is to try and redress the chemical imbalance. So the modern antidepressants are putting back the chemicals that are out of sync and trying to get the balance right again. It's not as easy as it sounds because people all being different need different amounts of, of the chemical to get things right. So it's a bit of a trial and error method. But 
these new antidepressants are non-addictive and they're a lot better than anything that's gone before. So a lot of people have found a lot of help with those kinds of medication. But what if depression is not a thing in itself, but actually just a symptom of something else? A symptom of some deeper stuff that's going on below the surface. What could those things be? Uh, Right. Stress. The person that's depressed, are they also under huge amounts of stress with their job, with family pressures, taking on too much responsibility? Is there illness? Is there chronic pain? Has there been major operations? Is there cancer? Has that person had a lot of big changes in their life? Are they struggling with aging, moving to a new area? Have they been a refugee? Has there been massive losses in their life? A significant bereavement, the loss of a job, losing a home, being burgled? Family issues, we've mentioned postnatal depression, it's very, very common. But actually, if you've got three under fives you're caring for at home, which my daughter-in-law has, that's hard. That can just trigger some depression. Very difficult job. Are you caring for teenagers? Sometimes that can be very challenging. Maybe you're dealing with children leaving home and feeling uh, that the nest is empty. Maybe you're struggling with divorce. We're getting deeper now, getting to the bottom of the iceberg here. Things that may be less obvious, things that people may not be telling you. Post-traumatic stress disorder people that have been in the armed forces and involved in in combat situations, people that have been in the police and seen some really awful things. If you've been the victim of a serious accident, if you've been mugged, if you've been violently assaulted or raped. And right at the very bottom, I work with quite a number of individuals whose symptoms can be described as complex trauma. This means not just one trauma has happened to them, but repeated traumas over many years with very little break between that trauma. So this would cover childhood abuse of all kinds, physical, emotional, sexual, domestic violence, domestic abuse, children who grew up experiencing severe neglect. 
The damage for these people is immense due to the terrible things others have done to them. And often they get very, very little help with this. So having a look at that iceberg, I don't know if it's occurred to you, but if some of those things are going on under the service, is it really that surprising that the person would be depressed? I have read some books that suggest that sometimes depression comes from nowhere. It just comes. It's just there. But I've actually yet to meet somebody in counselling who hasn't got something going on underneath the surface of the iceberg. So if one in five of the population are going to experience the deeper depression in their lifetime, it is inevitable that there will be people with depression in your church. Perhaps that's you at this moment. And it might be something that other people know about, or it might be something that you've kept very secret and private so far. Wouldn't it be terrible if those people were ashamed and didn't feel able to be open and honest about how they're feeling? Wouldn't be terrible if they felt isolated, that nobody understood them, that there was nobody that they could talk to or share with about this. And equally, wouldn't it be terrible if they were just pretending they were okay and going through the motions and turning up on Sunday and singing with everyone and smiling at the right time, but then going out that door and feeling absolutely awful. In a previous church I was part of, there was um, a worship leader and she was a pretty amazing worship leader. She was quite young, but she was incredibly talented. And whenever she was leading worship, people were just amazingly blessed. Then she had her first child. And postnatal depression hit her. And for some months, she was unable to lead worship. She just sat at the back and participated as much as she could. And later, when she'd recovered and she'd returned pretty much to normality, she said, and it was quite shocking, that a lot of people had told her off. <laughs> and a lot of people have been highly critical, saying, you shouldn't be depressed, you're a worship leader. Quite shocking, really. So, how can you help people who are depressed? How can you help yourself if this is you? Well, I'm sure you do have a pastoral care team. 
I'm sure there are people in your church who are looking out for other people who are struggling. I expect you have small groups as well where you go to and you're known a bit better in that small group. So pastoral care, very, very important. Practical support as well. If the person concerned has young children, they might appreciate a babysitter occasionally. If the person concerned has um, needs in terms of they're struggling to to cook for themselves, um, they're not really interested in food, perhaps they need some help that way. Perhaps they do need some meals cooked for them or taking out for something to eat. So there's, there's different things that you can do to help people who are depressed. Prayer, of course. We can all pray. We can all pray for people. Some people have an anointing and are operating in the realm of prayer ministry. Again, extremely helpful. I've not yet seen anybody that's gone for prayer ministry and they're prayed for once and suddenly they're fantastic and everything's gone. I'm not saying God can't work that way. Of course he can. Haven't yet seen it. Often it takes persistent prayer, long-term support. Counseling psychotherapy may include cognitive behavioral therapy. I'm not going to go through all the different types of therapy there are. It's going to be different for different people, what suits them. Particularly if there's a lot going on underneath the surface of the iceberg, that would be a good option because that person needs to talk about past traumas, family problems, whatever, at a deeper level. Participation in social activities. You will um, might have noticed now that doctors, as well as giving medication or sending people for counselling, they've got this thing called social prescribing going on, where they can recommend people... Um, different activities that are going on locally that they can participate in because meeting other people can be good for people that are depressed, especially if they're also feeling isolated and lonely. So there might be something there to help people in your church that are depressed. Exercise. Strangely, any kind of exercise is beneficial because if you exercise, some feel-good hormones get generated in your brain, which makes you feel better. So exercise, particularly if you go out in the sunshine, which also has a good effect on the brain and helps you feel more positive. And books, internet support, plenty of websites you can explore. Books, there's been some recommended on the notice sheet I quite often use this book, which is sadly out of print, called Climbing Out of Depression, which is a great book. It's quite old now, but it's a great book to give to people because it's little bite-sized bits to read. If you are depressed, the last thing you want to do is read some great, thick, heavy book on the subject. So this is nice and easy to read. Or it could be a combination of all the above. As we said, depression varies from person to person, so their needs will vary. And finally, 
Very important, that first bullet point there. Be patient. Healing may take time. Please do not get disheartened if you've prayed for someone and they don't get healed straight away if their depression doesn't lift straight away. Or even after a month or even after two months. Sometimes it takes time. Often it takes time. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Romans 12 verse 15. We're good at rejoicing with those that rejoice. Sometimes we're less good at weeping with those who weep. If there is somebody that's upset and crying, they may have good reason to be upset and crying. You don't know what's going on in their lives. If you're not the kind of person that finds it very easy to sit alongside someone and share in their pain, then maybe you can at least be the person that hands them the packet of tissues. Let us love one another, genuine love, love that is accepting, love that's not judging them. And finally, interestingly, the depressed of today may well be the comforters of tomorrow. As I said earlier, I lead quite a um, big team of counsellors. I get to interview them, most of them, and I get to read their applications And it fascinates me how many of those people have themselves had mental health problems in the past and have been through really big traumas in the past. So they have overcome that, and now they're counselling. Now they're helping others. A little passage from a little, a few words from this book, Climbing Out of Depression, She's headed it, this is Sue Atkinson is the author here, finding treasure, one of the most thrilling things I've found from talking to people once they've recovered from depression is that some will say they've found some kind of treasure through it. It doesn't mean they're glad they were depressed, but that they have discovered something they would have missed had they not been depressed. Some talk of restored relationships, learning the true value of friendship, getting a more realistic view of what life is about and learning to put the important things in life first. So depression can even have a positive side. And let's see what Paul says about this in Corinthians. This is what I'm going to end with, and it's a passage I come back to time and time again. Praise be, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So, if you're depressed today, you could well be the comforter of tomorrow. So, I'm going to end now and pass back over to Edward.